The New York Times revealed that Ms Spears, 39, expressed a serious opposition to the conservatorship earlier and more often than had previously been known and said that it was that it restricted everything from whom she dated to the colour of her kitchen cabinets and how much money she was given as a weekly allowance. Now, here's an excerpt from Ms Spears' speech. I just want my life back. It's been 13 years, and it's enough. It's been a long time since I've owned my own money, and it's my wish and my dream for all of this to end without being tested. Again, it makes no sense whatsoever for the state of California to sit back and literally watch me with their own two eyes make a living for so many people and pay so many people trucks and buses on the road with me and be told I'm not good enough. Went on to say, I have an IUD in my body right now that won't let me have a baby and my conservatives, conservatives won't let me go to the doctor to take it out. So it was quite a speech, um, Sue Bradford. Um, we don't have the same type of laws in Aotearoa, but as, as an overview, what do you make of this? Free oh, Britney Spears. It's horrendous mm. to think that a woman, an adult woman, 39 years old, um, does not have <coughs> control of her own life. Volition, whatever, yeah. m- whatever may have happened in her past with a mental illness or anything else, why does she not have their fundamental right to control over her own life? There's something in California's laws that must, is extremely odd and extremely wrong. And I'd also think about the other end of it. Would this be happening if, if she was a solo mum living on, on a barely survival income? Who would care about being her conservative or, or looking after her? You can't help but wonder what is the real motive here. Given, mm. And it's her voice, her singing that's, that's made the money. How, what a dreadful situation. Yes, that's right. Mm. Oh, it's been a long time since I've owned my own money, says Brittany. Uh, Much less he- her own body, by the sound yes, of it. Yeah, yes. The ability to have her own relationship. Someone asked about the ability to have friends. Well, she just wants to have a relationship and have a baby. What right has anyone to stop her doing that? Mm. Uh, notice as an explainer in what circumstances is a conservatorship approved by the court so when someone needs help taking care of his or her daily needs managing their finances or gives away large sums of money to strangers many are elderly people or developmentally disabled or people with temporary or permanent uh, mental or physical decline and it's unusual for someone of Spears' age to have been under such an arrangement for so long. Jordan, on first read... Well, and you think that for that sort of level of control, it would be an extremely high benchmark. And maybe if if you go off the deep end, that might be the case for a very short period of time. But 13 years, I mean, that, that is barbaric. Mm. Extraordinary. We'll see what happens with this case and uh, see if that uh, her speech, uh, which uh, has been it was public, uh, will make any difference, eh? Any effect, rather. Uh, it is four thirty-seven here on the panel in uh, Z National. Big response to libraries. Uh, keep them coming. Wanaka Library has a dog that children can read to. Uh, and Clendon Library Manarua, as a teacher, I booked a trip to the library to infuse my class for reading. They also came to do my modules at my school for fin- at Finlayson Park. Interactive and engaging sessions run by the librarian. Loving your uh, thoughts this afternoon. Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaima Huta says she raised human rights situations in Xinjiang and Hong Kong in a very general nature with her Chinese counterpart during a virtual meeting on Tuesday. New Zealand signed a statement at the United Nations Human Rights Council expressing grave concern about the abuses and calling for immediate, meaningful and unfettered access, quote-unquote, to Xinjiang for independent observers. Meanwhile, Hong Kong pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily 
has announced it'll shut by the end of the week after authorities used national security laws to freeze its bank accounts and funding and arrest top editors. In April, the UK Parliament passed a motion that declared the Uyghur peoples uh, being subject to genocide. The US, Canada and the Netherlands have made similar declarations. To discuss all that is Al Gillespie, Professor of Law at the University of Waikato. Kia ora, Al. Kia ora, Wallace. What do you make of this new statement over China's human rights at, at the UN Human Rights Council? So I understand that 40-plus countries now expressing their concern. Well, it, yeah, it's 41, and we're one of that group. And it, it shows that there's a solid body of opinion that now wants independent investigations into what's happening in Xinjiang. But on the other side, the Chinese have got their friends to make a similar reply, and they've got 65 countries to say that there's nothing to look at here. Right, yeah. Well, we last decide, like, was this the document that some weeks ago there was media coverage that we weren't signing with our allies? No, this is a different one. The, the, the last one that we were talking about was with the G7, and then there was that, that's built out from there, and a lot of countries are expressing the same concern. What you're seeing is a much more cohesive position from a number of like-minded countries at the moment on both sides. Is there Cheers. any way to ask China to open their doors to independent inspectors? This is uh, the, 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 the information's gathering, isn't it? There's been uh, Guardian did a really big uh, uh, analysis on what is happening with the Uyghur people. People really, need to want, people really want to go in and see what is happening for themselves. The Chinese have invited a lot of people in, but the ones that they don't invite in are the independent experts from the UN. If there's a midway point in the short-term future, they might invite the Human Rights Commissioner, the, the UN Human Rights Commissioner, but that wouldn't be an independent investigation by itself. So, Bradford, what do you make of all of this? Um, very difficult, and New Zealand and Nanai Mahuta are obviously walking a very tight line between um, our usually very... Um, quite constructive and, and huge trade relationship with China, and also participate, also expressing being part of the group of nations that are expressing concern at the UN. I actually think they, they are. It's good that they're walking such a careful line. Oh, you? Yeah, because, you do. Explain, yeah. explain a bit more. Well, I think about how many other countries that we trade with that also have, uh, we would have human rights concerns for example, even closely here with Australia, with the US and what's happening in, in all sorts of, I'm not saying they're the same, not, but I think that um, this is part of the diplomatic world and, the rea- and that taking care... I can't believe we are, this. You're... you're, you're, you're this country you're, is you're, taking a you're stand... You're compromising what are fundamental principles of our society for trade and profit at a time when Not, our no. natural allies, particularly Australia, are taking a much more aggressive approach than us. I mean, I, 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 I accept reasonable minds can differ on this. Stay there, Al. We'll but, come back but, to you, but keep but, going. But it's, okay. it, it, I mean, it's just, I mean, because, I mean, one thing about you, sir, is you've always been very consistent in, in, um, in your strongly held views, even at, at huge personal cost. I think this is one of those ones that as a society, to what degree are we willing to bear a cost to do what we broadly agree is the right thing? And Australia's taking quite a different approach. I mean, I know that, of course, it's in the diplomatic world and it's all slightly different shades of language and things. But fundamentally, when you open up the media in Australia and compare it to the statements that our government is making, and I know that we're playing a little bit of catch-up at the moment, is we're not being as... um, 
uh, as forthright. So, well, we are part of that group of nations that is asking for um, the the inspection. Yeah, but we've been over over the last. 18 months. I mean, we I, have I been think you've got me wrong followers. a bit about that. You know, I was talking about, for example, Australia and America. Do we, how strong a stand do we take with those countries on their human rights abuses? For I example, think we're talking different pe- levels. I mean, when, uh, once pe- you're shutting down, I mean, the situation in Hong Kong and shutting down newspapers. Uh, well, can it, we come back to that? I'll, go, I'll, I'll come back to both of you on that. I just want to jump in. Speaking of newspapers, Al, um, because Hong Kong pro democracy newspaper Apple Daily has announced uh, it'll shut. This is the second most used newspaper and news site in Hong Kong, according to a 2019 Reuters poll. It's extraordinarily um, well-read, quite influential. I mean, is this concerning development? Is it a bit of a, <laughs> a setback for free speech in the region? It's an extreme loss of freedom of the press, and I think it's going to get worse. But if I can come back to one point, what, what you're seeing right now at the human rights level is a deadlock between two groups of countries. So what's happening next is that some countries are going to start acting unilaterally. And so America's already said that they're going to ban cotton coming from Xinjiang, and today they said they're going to ban solar power from five large firms and solar power production units. And so what this means is that other countries will be obliged to follow that trade restriction or not. And that's will become much more hard for New Zealand if other countries start doing that, going down that line. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this has been a this isn't a new issue. I mean, the one thing that, in fact, I know on on this this panel I've talked about before that the that that back when we put our hands up to the New Zealand to the Security Council, you know, New Zealand has to walk this fine line of where our economic ties are separate to our cultural and security, or can diametrically opposed. And here, New Zealand does things like stick their hand up for the Security Council and want to be on a body that actually makes our our decisions matter, which I think is utterly stupid. But um, clearly, there is higher tensions than there has been in our lifetime. I mean, Taiwan is probably the most dangerous place in the world right now. Australia is more. My point is, Australia and Britain are more clearly picking a side, which 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 we're not. And I think that's. Um, that's uh, maybe that's valid, but we should be having be thinking more deeply about that right. decision. Hey, um, Professor, Professor Al Gillespie, again, thank you very much for your time. Welcome. Uh, I just want to pick up on something I said. Did you want to sort of respond to what uh, Jordan giving you the chance to respond a bit more? What, what are you What are you saying? Are you saying that really? Um, uh, I, China, yeah. China. I'm just looking at some of the um, the, the human rights UN Human Rights Council uh, about the situation in Xinjiang. Mentioned incredible reports of more than a million Uyghurs detained in the region, subject to torture, forced sterilisation, forced separation from the children, and on and on. Um, I guess Jordan's saying is we need to really uh, step up on this issue. Is that what you're saying, Jordan? Yeah, well, yes, it is, and it's the degree to which you're willing to sacrifice trade, frankly, because China retaliates. It's, it's quite a simple trade-off. Sue? So, um, I guess I'm not talking so much about trade. It's about um, accepting our place in the world as this small, remote little island with a population of five million and a geopolitical future that where China is likely to be in Asia. is like is, We are far more part of Asia than we are part of the UK, Europe okay. or America. Um, and so it's not a matter... I don't want us to resile from our own human rights positions and 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 all that, Mm. but it's also acknowledging our size um, and the reality of where we sit in the world, um, and that I think, (laughs) in the end, 
past, past my time and, and other people's time, we will become increasingly Asian. Um, and China is a very different place than us. And it's a negotiated... Because I, I don't come from a position of saying... Uh, I don't, I'm not here to speak up for free trade, far from it, or from trade being everything. It's more a cultural and political and social dimension, the fact we have many Asian people who are part of New Zealand now, um, and, and some of whom come from China. And I think that's, that is our future. We are going to be made up China, of people from... Point, Jordan. And, 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 not that, and, and I mean, this is all part of, of a delicacy of relationships going into the future, which is why I think Nanaya Mahuta is pretty good at this. She's, she's walking this very, very delicate line between the mm. human rights concerns, which I absolutely share, but the fact of where we sit in the world and where Aotearoa's future lies, um, and not... Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that, yeah, that, that's fair. I think we just take a slightly Absolutely. different... Where would place that? And, mm. and reason why I can disagree on it. Kia ora both. Uh, Jordan Williams, <coughs> Sue Bradford with us this afternoon on, on a bit of response uh, on, on that there. Uh, it is 13 to 5, the panel RNZ National. Uh, Early childhood education centres are struggling to find teachers with more than 500 job vacancies at centres across the country. The Early Childhood Council says that some centres are having to shut their doors because of the shortage. The Education Union, uh, NZEI, uh, Te Reo Roa, says that poor pay and working conditions are to blame. With us is NZEI's Early Childhood Education representative, Virginia Oakley. Virginia, kia ora. Kia ora. What is the problem with pay and working conditions? Explain it for us a bit. <laughs> okay, so um, currently uh, we uh, the early child education centre gets um, up to fifty percent difference in pay um, to their primary and secondary colleagues and also the kindergarten teachers. So you can actually work in early child education and get um, thousands of dollars difference in income per year, depending on which early childhood service you work in. So that's for the first problem. Um, the second problem is that um, we've got uh, high ratios of adults to children, children coming with more complex needs. So the job is getting more difficult and um, we need um, better ratios. And the third thing that's going on is that um, there is no minimum standard for non-contact time for teachers to do our professional work. There's so no minimum standard? No, there isn't. There isn't. If you're not on a collective agreement, there is no require, minimum requirement for non-contact time. Uh, and we have to do, um, people have to do their uh, appraisals, they've got paperwork, planning assessment, um, all that sort of stuff. And there is actually no minimum requirement. So I understand, we'll bring in panellists very shortly on this, but I, so I understand it's having a bit, quite, quite the flow-on effect, uh, Virginia. I was reading uh, Peter Reynolds, the, cha- the, the council's chief executive, his views on this. Uh, he estimates at least one early childhood, early childhood centre is shutting a week. Right, yeah, and um, I mean, it is a struggle. We have minimum ratios of qualified teachers that we need, and if you can't get teachers, what do you do? Um, there is uh, people advertising two, three, four times just trying to get an applicant to fill jobs. Um, I mean, it's, it's not okay. And the other thing that's happening is that we're getting a shift of qualified teachers across to kindergarten where they can get better pay, which is fair enough, at, you know, at the detriment of our children in, in the, um, the education and care sector who um, might not have the same um, access to qualified experience early childhood teachers. Mm. So, um, Sue first and then uh, we'll jump into Jordan. Sue Bradford. 
Just imagine if we had a national early childhood education system just as we have a national education, uh, primary and secondary education system, where there was collective agreements across the board, the ability to unionise, um, decent paying conditions um, and standards of, as set at the same level across the board um, and it was treated as a proper profession instead of the mass privatisation that's taken place and then you get these inequities between centres um, and pay that's too low and conditions that are poorer in some centres than, than others. Um, just imagine we could do that. It's the same as the aged care sector. Virginia? Instead of letting it all go to, to the private, so much of it go to the private sector, taking profit out of the, if we took the profit out of the equation, just imagine how much would be left for the kids and the staff. Virginia first, do you want to respond to that? Yes, um, I mean, that would, that's, that's the solution right there. I mean, if you did have um, you know, industry-wide sector agreement, we had minimum conditions, everyone was paid, you had pay parity with kindergarten and primary, you turn it, this whole situation around and you make this a desirable career, a place that um, teachers feel valued, um, that children are getting the best education that they can, and what a difference that would make. Hmm. Um, Jordan. Well, I mean, obviously, as a as a consumer of uh, of the stuff, um, I'd stand for the choice and um, and the like. But I, I've this is my own ignorance here. But I know that there's a distinction, and you mentioned it between the early childhood centres and the kindies. But what? Why are they paid so different? What? What's the reason? I don't understand. If they're, I mean, a childcare centres are they on a much sort of. Uh, sort of cheaper, bare-bones model? Or why is there the differential between um, between the two types of centres? Um, historically, if you go back historically, kindergarten um, te- teachers, kindergarten sector was highly unionised. It was qualified teachers. And we used to have the childcare sector. That's now gone. Oh, okay. We've got education and care. Um, so we have qualified teachers right across. Um, and so uh, about the rest Sorry, so of the kin- sector... Kindies yeah. are more regulated and have the qualified teachers across. We do, child. historically. Okay. Historically, and a collective agreement. Now there is no difference between the work that we do. We all um, are teaching children right across. We all have to have the same qualifications um, and everything like that. We have the same professional requirements. But the education and care sector um, is... Is, de-union, is, is very low membership um, of um, NCD of... You know, of the union, so that has an impact, and it's highly um, privatised, as was talked about. And that because of the bulk funding model that we have, so we've got a broken funding model. If you want to make profit, you've got to make profit by keeping salaries of teachers low. I mean, yeah, well, the, the margins are pretty thin. So the, I've got another question, and and this isn't this isn't pointed, but something that um, that I'm really interested in because I'm aware that the, the literature doesn't often support the um, the claims. Um, in in higher education around student ratio, teacher ratios, and I'm interested is it is it clear for young kids that having a higher teacher student ratio improves the educational well I, I mean the outcomes of the kids because that later in school it's actually more important that you've the quality of the teacher than actually the number of kids per teacher but I'm interested because there must be there must be lots of studies around this Virginia what is it yeah what does the data show show there? Oh, I mean, definitely, um, the group size and ratio absolutely does matter. So there's two aspects. One is the number of children you have um, under the roof, and the lower that is, the better. Uh, and the other is, obviously, the ratios. I mean, a ratio one to five and our under twos. 
I mean, how you know that is really hard to provide yeah. quality care and education if you've got a couple of children that are needing their bottle. You've got another child. Yeah, um, of course. Cheapest you know, one's enough. Pay. And you see, you'd see it, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. you'd see it. Okay. I see as, it. as I did this morning. Yeah. Was the, the, see the avocado on my shirt. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, Virginia, lovely to have you on the program. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, that is uh, Thanks, early Virginia. childhood uh, education representative Virginia Oakley there from the NZEI. Uh, now, a large response regarding the earlier point. We visited Kashgar, Xinjiang province uh, 2017 have uh, the, sur- the surveillance and treatment of the local Uyghur people compared to on our first visit in 2001 was horrendous in this person's view. The fear amongst the locals was very evident and that was in public places. We cannot imagine what might be going on behind closed doors. Another one here, I agree with Sue Bradford. Every time China human rights come from the media, we're expected to hate everything China. I have Chinese friends, for goodness sake. Isn't there enough racism? Walk the line so innocent people aren't mm. abused on New Zealand streets. Now, finally, because you're both politicos, uh, politicos I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on this. Journalist Thomas Cogden wrote an opinion piece in... Uh, and stuff. If National wants to fix itself, it needs to ask the right questions. National party delegates are were set to meet this weekend to vote on some of the most substantial changes to the party's rules in more than a decade. Um, the National Party won't push ahead with a proposal to make way make the way it selects its leader more transparent, but there are other proposals, including recognition of Tetariti or Waitangi as the country's founding document, uh, term limits for board members and others, uh, but also um, candidate selection is one that uh, Thomas pointed out is National's most persistent problem. And I thought I'd go around the panel and say, uh, if you were part of the National Party, Sue, what would you do to turn the party round? Um, I think they need a major course in treaty education if they're going to adopt Te Tiriti or Waitangi as part of their constitution. It beggars belief when Judith Collins and Paul Goldsmith and such like make the statements. It's in the ex-constitution already. Yeah, it is. But it's quite phenomenal. Um, But obviously um, they've got to get past um, selection process, which seem to be by white men for white men. If, if you're a fine-looking young or older white fellow, um, that seems to be, <laughs> be the predominant criteria uh, for candidate selection, no matter what else is going on there. Um, Jordan. Yeah, well, I mean, there's very clearly problems in, around the camp. I mean, I don't think it's so much the selection, because the, the, one of the... I mean, the role of political parties is to screen for quality. I mean, it is, it's the, the role of any brand. And very clearly, the Nats um, are totally stuffing up and selecting uh, time after time some that are just total political apparatchiks that have never really been through any real tests in life vis-a-vis the last leader they had that, you know, clearly hadn't really been under sustained pressure before. And then you've had these various uh, creeps um, that have that, that they've somehow got in. And now we've got, we've been tearing into this um, this brand new MP, she's been MP for two or three days, who when she was the last um, uh, Hariti uh, Pango, who, yeah, who, thank you, I apologise for my terrible pronunciation, um, who, what do you know, um, put TVs and sofas on the, um, or a TV and a, and a sofa on the taxpayer and say it was a miscoding mm. thing. Well, how do you miscode? I mean, what, you sent it to your house? Just bring I mean, back well, get a grip. I mean, I, these people that need... What, what, what's, the, what's a better way to vet candidates? What did the Green Party do? Oh, they they uh, they did investigate candidates and expect candidates to meet certain standards. And I was I felt um, 
it was pretty remarkable actually that, that um, they did accept uh, people like myself and one or two others through the selection processes because I think other political parties don't be so hard on yourself. Well, so, oh, I mean, it's, it's a it's a it's a true thing. But really, I, I think that um, I'd also. It, Something I've always noticed in politics is that we women um, are much more likely to to be shy to stand for position, yeah. to go into public, yeah. because of things. But there are things in our lives, and I, I, my life's quite open. There have been things in my life that are difficult. Um, and men are much more likely not to care about that. But we women tend to stand back more, and men charge in with all sorts of baggage. And parties seem to accept them with a lot of alacrity, whereas I'd rather see a lot more women um, standing up and, and parties actually being open to a f- to some of those issues that people come out of real life. Good way to end the issues. program. Yeah. We must leave it there. Sue Bradford, Jordan Williams. Cheers Thank you for your Thanks, time. Sue. I'm back tomorrow.